I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Pod. As usual, I'm your boy, Adam Taylor. As usual, you can find my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, sitting right next to me if you're watching on YouTube. If you're not watching on YouTube, he's sitting roughly six and a half thousand miles away, so it's not that close. Mr. Will Witt, what's going on, Will? What up, Taylor gang? How we living, man? You're living good. I'm living good. I say that, like, you know, I'm happy. I'm grateful. Never know how tomorrow's going to be, but right now I'm living good, man. How about you? Right. I'm doing great, man. I mean, right now, you know, for uh, for us, those we're in our, you know, our podcast studio title of this episode is just winning equals fun. And that's I mean, that that's that's what it is. I mean, I think that says it all. Do you know how much like concern it gives me when he asks me to title the studio each episode? <laughs> it's a little bit of a panic moment because I do the same thing. I'm just when I'm creating a studio for, for for me and Greg on our other show. And it it, it feels it's really weird because it's such a simple process but it feels like an immense amount of pressure in that little bit of time for some, I don't know why, but I'm glad you're saying this because it feels like a lot of pressure just hits you in the face when it's like, what do you want to title this? And I'm like, Oh my God, I have no idea. Yeah. Like we haven't spoke like for me, like the title of an episode comes through recording the episode and then you're yeah. like, okay, this like, you know, this title works, this works. Sometimes, you know, like a precipice of a vibe, it just comes to you and that's the, that's the name of the episode. But when it's like, Yo, before a word is said, before you've even looked at each other, we need to know what you want to call this studio. Yeah. And I'm just like, I have no idea. Dude. Do you know what it actually reminds me of, Adam? And so, you know, when you're online and they want to make sure you're not a robot or whatever, and sometimes they yeah. put up like, uh, click on all the squares that have a bicycle in it. And it's super easy always. But I feel like with that same process, there's that momentary sense of panic. Like, oh, my God, do I know what a bicycle is? And you're <laughs> and, and you're panicking like like there's that one where there's like the tire that over loop that over. Yeah. And you're like, you know, do I does that that count? like, are they going to let me make this purchase? Are they going to think I'm a robot because I can't decipher between the lines? You know, it, it, it's a very similar feeling for those of you out there that are trying to understand what we're talking about, where it's it's something that's absolutely very low stakes and it's very simple. But for some some reason just gives you this momentary sense of panic that you can't complete this this very simple task do you know what gets me as well because i'm exactly the same but do you ever overclick purposely so like you're saying it kind of leans in and you're like oh, let me click that um do i need to click the one behind it because i clicked the one in front like in my head i'm like it, it does the shadow count yeah exactly do you know what i mean <laughs> it's always the ones with hills or boats you know and yes. it's like click on all the hills and i'm like well, what you define as a hill and what I define is as a hill. Is that a hill or is that a ridge? Yeah. Like our definitions could be completely different, dude. And now, you, now you're putting me on the spot. Like, yo, if you want to progress, we have to be on the same page about what a hill is. And I'm like, well, this looks like a mountain to me. That's not a hill. That's a exactly. big hill. It's, it's concerning. I will say right now, my shooting percentage from the field on those is pretty good. I haven't missed yet. Me neither. I'm 100 for 100 shooting, man. Unlike Jalen Brown from the free throw line, which is uh <laughs> not very good at the moment. But let's give the guys some credit. He's uh he's playing well in other aspects of his game. But that that free throw percentage at the moment, what is he hovering around the 60 percent mark? Uh, I haven't checked it for the season right now, but yeah, two of five in the the last game against the Hornets. You know, something something to keep an eye on, but. It, it's it's easy to cover up a lot of things when Jason Tatum's going for 54 and 54 points in back-to-back game. 
Yeah, and that sixty percent is like over the last three or four games. It's not yeah, over the season, yeah. but like yeah, when Jason Tatum's doing what Jason Tatum's doing, you can get away with it a little bit. But you know, it was just a really easy way to transition, so I chose to do it. <laughs> uh, look, man. So as you said, the title winning equals fun. I'm having a lot of fun, but and I put a piece out about this earlier in the week. It's really difficult when the team is winning consistently with the like very consistent performances, consistent performers. It's like, man, what do what do we talk about today? Because it is tough, right? I mean, look, we can talk about Tatum, but everybody's talking about Tatum. I mean, we're doing him an injustice if we don't spend some time talking about him, but there has to be other aspects that we can discuss. Yeah, it's, it's it's tough, and you also don't want to be the guys that as everything is is going right, well, hold up, let's take a look at these few flaws that we've found in this four game winning streak, or in you know seventeen and three in this in the last twenty. You know, you also don't want to be those guys that are bringing everybody down. But it is hard trying to find something different, especially because you know you and I mentioned this off off camera before we got on. Uh, and I'd rather have the problem that we currently have than what we had earlier in the season oh, where, sure. where where things were frustrating and it felt like we were copying and pasting episodes together, you know, weekly, like, hey, same problems, different team. Can we just go back and edit the footage from two weeks ago and insert Knicks versus Hawks or whatever the case may be? <laughs> and it, it felt fun. like it was and it was the same and it was the same episode, you know, and it feels a little bit like we could be doing that with, with some of the things that are happening now, obviously, in a much more positive manner. But, you know, everything is starting to look so consistent. Like, there's going to be a downtick. Like, one of the things that I think has really helped this turnaround is the overall play of Al Horford, but specifically his shooting numbers. Like, Al Horford has gone back to being the Al Horford that was shooting in Oklahoma City last year before they shut him down. So that has been a major difference, especially for that starting unit, which might just be like it it sounds crazy to say or maybe it doesn't sound crazy to say i guess anymore might be the best five man unit in the entire nba i think i'm very on board with that statement i think that if they're not the best five man unit they're one of the best right and al oh, horford sure. like al horford is a pick and pop threat when he's hitting his shots obviously he's going to be more of a pick and pop threat but what's happening is now teams are slowly starting to sag off him you know what i mean like we don't need to close out on alas quickly when is it free because he's not hitting them very consistently this season and i've said this on multiple episodes in multiple articles players probably like in my head i can't imagine a player knowing what everybody is shooting from every area of the floor because there's a 450 guys that's an enormous mental database to carry that you have to update on a daily basis so it's much easier to just know this dude shoots a lot of threes this dude doesn't shoot a lot of threes this dude's just not a good shooter i can go under on screens you know it's easier to just kind of know tendencies rather than no proficiencies and obviously you know who's a great shooter and who's an adequate shooter blah 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 but what i think happened to al was throughout the year people started to realize like he's not an adequate shooter anymore we can start sagging off and waiting and, and protecting from the drive and now al's hitting them consistently people are like right we can't we need to start pushing up on him a little bit more closing out and then those driving lanes are opening up for jason or jalen or whatever and like um i was watching nba countdown or nba something on youtube it was definitely a post game thing and um, they were talking about Tatum's growth. And one of the things that they noted was, which I thought was an excellent piece of little bit of analysis from them, 
was a lot of Tatum's buckets right now are coming off ball. And what that means is like, you know, we've less than two dribbles. Mm-hmm. So he'll get the ball, one, two dribble done. Catch the ball, one dribble to get set and then pull up, right? But the space that he's operating in when he's doing a lot of those one, two dribble pull-ups are off cuts coming into the middle of the floor or getting into the post. And that's an area where Al would usually occupy or Al's defender would occupy because they're sagging off of Al. Now that those threes are being hit, that defender's a little bit more um, towards the perimeter. That's where Tatum's kind of exploiting that space. And maybe he receives the ball there, kicks it out again, relocates or whatever. But the initial like pocket, so to speak, that's all being generated just from Al going back to the mean. Do you know what I'm saying? And that was kind of the vision we had at the beginning of the season where we were like, okay, I can see how this five-man lineup can work. And especially with, you know, double bigs was almost like a naughty phrase at the beginning of the season based off of last year where everyone was like, nope, can't do it. But it's like, oh, hold on, guys. Rob Williams and Al Horford as double bigs is way different than Daniel Tyson, Tristan Thompson as double bigs. Let's not get it twisted. Those are very different things. And I remember at the beginning of the year, we, we saw from a pretty early standpoint defensively, this lineup could be good. But it was offensively where it was the net rating was great because the defense was so good, but the offensive rating just just really wasn't there. And now, I mean, like right now, I pulled this up here earlier, Adam. I put I was looking at offensive rating for five man lineups, and I put it at a minimum of at least two hundred minutes that they've played together throughout the season. So pretty solid sample size. And right now for that unit, they're at an offensive rating of one hundred and sixteen point seven. There's only five lineups five five-man lineups in the entire NBA that have a higher offensive rating in that amount of time than those five. And that's, I mean, a lot of that has been over the uptick from from Al Horford in these last 30 games where he's now shooting on a 30-game sample size close to 36%. And that's the Al Horford that we were looking at coming in here when we were saying, listen, I know it's a lot to give up that that 16th pick, which turned into Alperin Sengun. Like, that's a lot to give up just to get off the Kemba contract, but this is why. This is why, because of what Al on the floor and then off the court can do for your team. And you can see the that all Celtics are kind of reaping the benefits of what Al's been able to bring to the table over the last 30 games or so. I wonder if, yeah. So, okay, let me try, Let me start this differently. So you've got Al on a contract for one more season. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if he plays the whole year, that, that partially guaranteed becomes fully guaranteed at around about 26.5 mil. If he's giving you the production he's giving you right now, his mobility stays at a similar level. Obviously, you can expect a little bit of degradation in terms of uh, maybe he needs a few extra rest days. Maybe he just doesn't look as mobile switching on the perimeter. I don't think that's the case. I think his game isn't based on athleticism, so I can't see being a huge downward curve. But if he's giving you this production... Do you run with him again next year? Like, that's a question that I think a lot of people are starting to ask themselves, right? Like, when you first traded for Horford, it was about he's going to help be a veteran presence and then you can move off that contract in the summer when, you know, another team might buy on Mm 14.5 instead of 26.5 or whatever. Now I'm at the point where I'm like, moving out could be a huge mistake because he's, as you've just mentioned and alluded to, he's been a vital part of this five-man unit. And when he plays well, everything seems to click, right? He gives you the passing. He gives you the screening, the defense. He's been phenomenal as a rim protector as well. At one point, him and Rob were both in the top 10 for blocks. I think mm-hmm. Al's... I think he the, fell out a little bit, but he's yeah, still... Top 15, at yeah. least. You know what I mean? So when you look at it like that, it's kind of... For me, I'm very much on the terms of Al needs to come back next season. Now, whether he's willing to 
you know, go for a buyout or maybe, you know, or restructure yeah. contract. You just don't know. But his value goes far beyond what you're seeing in the box score. And I feel like we can say this about Marcus Smart. We can say it about Derek White. But those are the type of guys you need on a team to help uplift the stars. You need guys that aren't box score hungry. And I think Ali is like the perfect um mentor to some of the younger guys on that team of hey this is what you need to do and in my head if you think grant williams is baby al then you need to give grant williams as much time as possible because at the moment i'm foreseeing grant being the natural successor to al horford mm-hmm. start but long term you know so it makes sense to try and keep al around just to keep helping bring Grant along and diversify Grant's game and teach Grant ways to approach games that Al would, you know, it'd be like yeah. WWAHD. What would Al Horford do? <laughs> I like, I like the pause that you may know. The, the, if you're not watching on YouTube, you won't see Adam's kind of pause and look up to the right to make sure he gets the acronym correct. But, uh, but no, I think you're totally spot on. And I think that's why like right now my gut says in, in some form or fashion, I absolutely am bringing Al Horford back. And I think even with that contract, like there's a lot of versatility to it. I know Keith Smith has been on this podcast. He's been on the podcast with me and Greg over at the 617. He's kind of laid out all the different options that Al can, that Al's contract can have. And I think that one that you just kind of, you, you touched on it in passing is I, I'm really intrigued by the idea. I hadn't thought about this until Keith brought it up is kind of the buyout and then a smaller longer term deal so you know if you can you know buy it out at that 14 million but then maybe you work like a three-year 21 million dollar contract you know extend the length something like that is i think super intriguing i think that's an option but honestly you know there's so much versatility with the way al's contract is set up and the way that he plays into this team my gut would say it's more likely than not he's with this team in some capacity but you know, that size of that contract and where it can range from that 14 to 26, you know, I'm not going to get into all the details. Like I said, go find the Keith Smith episodes on either of our feeds. That's going to be where you're going to find the actual explanation of how that works. But if the right deal comes up, of course, you want to keep that versatility. You know, roster versatility was something Brad Stevens has talked about. And you can tell from his moves early on in his tenure, he's not relying on draft picks. He's not going to rely on free agency. He's going to make his moves through trades like that that feels like the way brad stevens is going to shape this roster for the most part is keeping flexibility with tpes with contracts that can be moved or packaged so i I think al brings a lot of versatility to that but i think that's the secondary option beyond just how do we keep al here for all the reasons that that you laid out and i feel like that it feels very likely you know with 15 18 games left to go in the regular season we'll see what happens in the postseason but I, I think al is extremely important to this team and i would be shocked at this point if he's not back next year so the only reason one of the only reasons i should say that i can't envision him coming back next year is if they sit down with grant williams and then this would never happen because i just don't i think grant's such a team-centered guy but mm-hmm. just to kind of put that hypothetical out there you know, you you sit down with Grant. You're like, hey, Grant, you're rookie extension eligible. Let's let's do a deal. We want to keep you. We think you're highly valuable. We're definitely going to give you an increase in salary. And Grant's like, that's fine, but I want to start in role next season. You know, and then you're like, mm-hmm. well, we kind of was planning on you having a starting role in 23, yeah. 24, not 22, 23. And maybe they're like, okay, well, Horford's aging. We're not going to keep him beyond next year anyway. 
we'll move off from Horford and bring in a piece mm-hmm. to, so we can slide you up. Now, obviously, things don't work like that, and that's a huge, highly unlikely hypothetical. Yeah. But I, that's one of the only reasons I could see them moving on from Horford because I don't see them get. I don't see Horford bringing back anything of true value on his own just because of the age. Like the, the production is perfect. You know, you're getting great production from him, but you'd be bringing like you're trading away a one-year contract for a guy that's going to be on the wrong side of 30, how much value are you really getting back? At this point, Horford has more value to you than what he does to another team. Do you know what I mean? Unless like it's a rebuilding team and they're looking looking for a culture setter. Somebody yeah. to, like there's a handful of scenarios out there, but I I mean I think I, I agree with your point overall. You know, I would on the grant side of it, I would be a little I mean, you even said this. I'd be it doesn't seem like a type of request grant would make um i do think we could talk about this maybe in a minute i think it's fascinating that he's gone from a guy that we weren't sure of at the beginning of the year to it feels like yeah of course grant williams is getting an extension like that's an an, it's an incredible you know uh character arc for grant williams throughout the season of where he started to where he's at now maybe that's something else we could talk about because i do think you're right he feels kind of like the natural successor and that like when we think about al being on this team next year and maybe managing his minutes a little bit more it's probably grant that slides up if it's you know al slides down two three minutes grant slides up two three minutes and we start to get a look into that you know into that future and see you know see how that looks with grant williams as the long-term starter since his age does line up with the rest of that starting lineup and his versatility lines up, you know, he's giving you the floor spacing. He's one of the better three-point shooters of the season. Yeah. You know what I mean? In so the I NBA, think, not just the team. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying, I'm avoiding saying he's one of the better shooters in the league because that kind of, that's so definitive for me. You need a reputation. You got to, you got to build yeah, that I need, up over I need to a see you do that over here. a few years, like, you know, and I think that when the Celtics are discussing extensions, that's going to be one of the things that they might try and, incentivize is like hey you've done it for one year but we need to you know we're going to put some escalators in there for performances because it's very easy to do this once like for one season lots of players have had big up years and then failed to replicate afterwards we want to we want to keep you incentivized for doing this however they choose to do that is obviously but i could see that being the case maybe some escalators in that deal we talked about this in a in a spaces recently, and I, I did a little bit more looking into it to try and figure out like where I'm comfortable. And we, and we were really t- kind of discussing to give everybody kind of like the the background of you know now that Grant is a guy that feels like it's likely to give an extension. What is that extension? That's always going to be you know part of part of the conversation. And you know I think for me like I'm somewhere in that eight to twelve million range is what I think feels really good i think beyond that you're like it's it's okay but i think you're extending yourself a little bit far in my opinion for for what grant does even though it's very valuable like i think that's a little bit too far and so i was looking around trying to figure out who i think kind of matches up with you know and we've talked about pj tucker as like a similar player to grant williams but you know the contracts because he's a little bit older harder to to kind of match up and i came across jay crowder's contract where he's essentially getting between about nine to ten million over three, so about three years, thirty million was was roughly what his deal with with uh, Phoenix was last year. I think something like that feels perfect. Like I really do. I feel like an extension somewhere in that three for thirty, three you know four for forty, some something within that range feels like a perfect level of of pay versus what his role is here that I think works for both. And for me, if that's not where he's comfortable in the offseason and wants to get a little bit more, I'm with you. I would kind of play the waiting game a little bit and say, hey, 
knock down 42% of your threes again. I think he's at like 44% right now, but knock down 40 plus percent of your threes again. We can certainly talk about giving you that that 15 million because then that's a different that's a different ball game. But if he wants that security and we can get it for eight to ten million, I would do that very quickly this offseason. Yeah, I think I'd set myself a hard limit of twelve. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like twelve's my hard stop. You know, like three for what three for thirty six, four mm-hmm. for forty eight. I'm cool with that. I'm comfortable. It's a little bit more, but I feel like there's so much scalability to how he plays and the different roles that you could put him in. And with a little bit more of, um, you know, some more starting opportunities, a little bit more of a usage rate, I think that you could start to see something there. And if he can develop a passing game, then lo and behold, all of a sudden yeah. you do have baby Horford, especially like passing out of the post. We're not asking this guy to be Robert Williams and firing bullets everywhere. <laughs> but one of the key concepts of running this type of offense that Udoka runs is you can have a lot of post-entry passes into the big men to, for them to facilitate out of the post. So um, if he could start working on that, that would be fantastic. I think there's opportunities there for him. I think 12 million would be a hard stop for me. And then obviously you do you do hold his restricted free agency rights at exactly. the end of next season. So if, he's, if he does want to bet on himself, which is completely fine, you should do. At the end of the day, you, you're not in the league for a long time, so you need to be able to maximize your earnings. Uh, that's cool. You know, we'll see Play what you do next season. Yeah, and then will match whatever offers come in for you. You're still going to be a Celtic, but you've bet on yourself. I think that replicating 44% shooting from free, you do that for two seasons, you deserve to be be asking for 15. Exactly. And here's the thing. I'd rather pay, you know, if he's going to be a 44% shooter, and I don't have it in front of me how many threes he's taking a game. I'm going to guess it's about three and a half, four threes a game. I don't, I don't have that pulled up. But, you know, if he's doing that at four to five threes a game, like I'd rather pay a guy like Grant than I would – you know, as much as I, you know, Duncan Robinson or, or one of these guys that's a, a a one skill type of guy, like Grant's single so skill. much more single skill guy, like 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 Grant's so much more versatile and he's hitting, you know, a, a similar amount or a similar percentage, maybe a, a few less attempts, but he's doing a lot more in other areas. I'm much more comfortable paying a multi-skill guy like that, that 15, 16 million than I am for that single skill guy like Duncan Robinson or Davis Bertans. Yeah, and he's taking 3.53s a game. You were yeah. bang on the money. 43.5% conversion, right? So, yeah, I mean, look, but like when you look at the jump, so first season, shot 25% from three. Second season, that jumped to 37.2%. This season, it jumped from to 435 where it stands now, obviously. If we look at the playoffs when he played, he hasn't really, you know, he's shot 50%. And not, he, I mean, the attempts are so low. on 0.8 attempts last playoffs. But what I'm trying to get at is the the progression of that three-point shot looks genuine. You know what I mean? Like, struggled for range in his first year. I think we all know that narrative by now. But the progression to jump to 37, then to jump to 43, like, that's that's a natural progression that seems sustainable. Now, if he'd been shooting 28, 27, then 31, or like Mm -hmm. 31 to 33, and all of a sudden that jump goes from 33 to 43, well, now I feel like maybe this is the anomaly. But um, (laughs) I tripped over my tongue twice there. But because it seems to have gone in like incremental steps, I feel so much more confident about this being replicable. I don't think, you know, 39% I'm cool with. Between 39 and 43%, if you can do that, you're a sniper. That's a sniper in the NBA. That 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 that's what that is. You're once you do the best. 
yeah, to your point of like needing to build up kind of a history, like once you've done three or four years and you're between that 39 and, and 39 up, let's just say 39 and up club, like those are the type of guys that just by their presence on the court, those are the guys that create gravity and create driving lanes for the Jalen Browns, for the Jason Tatums, that create opportunities for, you know, that we talked last episode about that that option play where, you know, there's there's room in the middle of the court for Rob Williams. Is he going to set a screen or is he going to roll and lob? I don't know. There's so much space now because you have to have your defender pulled off on Grant Williams. That's what that brings. And so if this is replicable, it's a huge boom for the Celtics. We've been talking about shooting for so long. And so, you know, Grant Williams being that true sniper off the ball is it is immense so when you get to that you know and especially you mix in with the continuity he has with these guys i start to get more okay with paying that money but ideally if you can lock him in a little bit cheaper rate this summer go ahead and do it i think that's a kind of a, a win-win situation for all i think the other thing to remember as well is that he's only 15 games away from completing a 50 40 90 season that's crazy right do you know what i mean and you look at the like i've just pulled it up here like uh the 50, 40, 90 club to try and look at some of the other guys in here, right? So you've got <laughs> Larry Bird's in there, Reggie Miller's in there, Steve Nash, Dirk, Durant, Corey, Brogdon, Irving. I think that's pretty much your list, isn't it? Yeah, it's a small list. I think I yeah. remember, uh, yeah, like Brogdon getting on that list. And there was one other, I think, that maybe was on there where it was like, the rest are like bona fide top 25 all-time players just about, or, you know, or all-time Hall of Famers. And then uh, and then you get Malcolm Brogdon, and there was maybe one other person on that list. But it's Kyrie's a small, small elite list. That, and then you, you know, put Grant Williams in there. I think once you enter that club, your, your ability to bargain for the higher end of your contract spectrum yeah. becomes legitimate. Do you know what I mean? Because it is such an exclusive club. It's 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 an elite company to be part of. And we're 15 games away from seeing that. And there's wiggle room for Grant as well. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, let's have a look at his splits. What's he's he shooting not, on the field right now? He's shooting 58%. That looks pretty good. Like, he's going to hit that mark. <laughs> well, that's from two, actually. So oh, that's from, from two. Okay, I was going to say, that yeah. seems really high. Yeah. Do you know what? He's not in the 50-40-90 right now. Is it 486 Okay, so, so he's, he's he's on the edge of it. He's on the edge. He's on the precipice, the precipice of a word of the day. Well, well, well it's not a vibe this time. It's the precipice of history. Greatness? Yeah. Both of those words. So, sorry, I was looking at two-point percentage instead of field goal. That's me talking at the same time. But he's still hovering there, you know? For, yeah. So, I think that there's a, a good chance that he can get there. I think if he has a bit of an efficient run, like a 10-game efficient run, where he's making 57% of everything he takes... The, and that, that's not out of the question for him. There's a 50-40-90 season on hand, and then he can be like, hey, 12 million's my ceiling, or if that's what you've envisioned my ceiling being, give me yeah. my 12 million. That's going to be a fun storyline in the offseason, man. I'm that's And that's a fun storyline from just from where it started to where it's at right now. Look so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited, because Grant just seems like a genuinely good dude. Yeah. Uh, did you see the video the other day of, uh, I think Ime was giving a, a press conference, and Grant Williams was in the corner, was in the was uh, was off to the side dancing, trying to trying to get Ime nah, to laugh. See that. Oh, it's really good. I'll send it to you after we get off here. It's, uh, it's a really good video. Ime doesn't crack, crack to his credit. He doesn't crack. Doesn't crack. Ime's stone face, just straight ahead. Yeah, I'll be howling, dude. I know he, uh, he gate-crushed the garden report for CLNS yesterday. I saw. I haven't seen the video, but I, I saw uh, I saw a tweet about that. I've been meaning to check that out. Yeah, like, just turned up. Like, I like Grant. I think Grant Williams is, like, for me, when it comes to, like, basketball players, one of the things I look for in terms of, like, 
from as a fan is likability. I'm like, which of these dudes mm-hmm. can I envision me just hanging out with? You know, yeah. just Grant acting like a deal. fool. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, I could have, I'd have a good time going out drinking with. Yo, Grant you know what we gotta do? We gotta get me. Well, first of all, we gotta we gotta get you in person to Boston. Me and Greg need to fly up there, and we need to get Grant Williams and play a game of Settlers of Catan. Grant Williams, if you listen to this podcast, please message us because we will get a game of Settlers. The gauntlet of has been thrown down. Grant Williams and the three man weave playing a game of Settlers of Catan. We'll stream it. We'll we'll do we'll do a full interview while it's going on. Grant Williams, the, it's the the ball's in your court, my friend. Let's make this happen. You've heard of hot ones. This is geek ones. Yeah. You know All I mean? of the geek squad from Best Buy. We're coming in for Grant Williams. Yeah, we're coming, dude. Geek ones. That's what we're going to call it. Right oh, now. I like this idea. I like this idea. I am very much into this uh, Into this idea. We need to make this happen. I'm down. I've never played Catan, but I'm down to play some Magic and Gathering as well. I've never played that either. I feel like Grant's played both, though. So maybe maybe, maybe we'll let Grant choose, and then if and then we'll, we'll have to learn the rules of what he wants to play. So we'll yeah. uh, we'll, we'll make that happen. But Adam, I got I got to ask you this, man. We're we're almost twenty. We're twenty eight, twenty nine minutes. We got to talk Jason Tatum. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. Great minds, dude. Yeah, because I was like, we've gone too long. And I love talking about Grant, but like my man Jason Tatum is on a different level right now this is you know we talked about like is he top 10 is he top five whatever that, that conversation can happen in the offseason more in depth that's it's it's you know whatever but right now man the run he is on you know i tweeted the other day like he's doing a, a kd impression but maybe he's just doing a jason tatum impression like i think he's just jason tatum jason tatum is his own thing now it's not even impressions anymore it's just jason tatum doing jason tatum jason tatum doing jason tatum things yeah it's well, i think it's and wild. it's so hard to like, like from like I like to sit there and kind of be like, right, he got to his spot by doing this, he got to his spot by doing that. But he's so diverse now that it's very much like he's setting guys up consistently. Every movement he makes is to set someone up for a backcourt or to set them up to, to lead them into a screen, or you know, as he did against Charlotte last night, to sidestep behind a backboard and release a high arc in free that just finds nothing but net and so man i just think his game is so aesthetically pleasing it really is especially when he because last night i think he was what 16 of 24 in that game six of nine from three six of six from the line those are the games where it feels so effortless like that 44 felt effortless last night you know like like the 54 he, he he worked for that it kind of built up to it last night felt like he was basically in the gym shooting by himself or or he was out in, in Portland in the Pro-Am with Peyton Pritchard doing his thing, you know? Like, like that's the type of feel of how easy it was for him last night to get those buckets. And that's like a different level that, that not everybody can do in an NBA game, regardless of who you're playing. I think as well, when you're looking at it like... Um... Like, as I said earlier, like finding your movements, play, scoring more off ball, more one dribble, more two dribble, everything feels more understated. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you're not crossing guys up. You're not going ISO. So you're not the focus of everything. You know what I mean? Like when someone's isolating, they're very much focus based. Your whole eyes are on them. When yeah. they're just cut, cutting in, catching the ball, taking a dribble to set their feet and then hitting that jumper. It's so momentary that you know they've hit the bucket, but it's kind of, it's very understated. Obviously, if it's a a dunk or something like explosive, then that's different. But I think that I always come back to something you said to me when we first started recording and I really liked it. And you was like, the the best players 
get buckets understatedly. I think he had a word for it that you called it. You know, well, I called it the dirty 30 at one point. Yeah, because that's, it's, it, that's it. it. It's the guys that when you look up, and, and this is where like the Kevin Durant's, the, you know, James Harden's at certain points, or Giannis's are at, where you almost expect 30, but then you think they've had a bad game and you would look up and they've got 32, 10, and 8. And you're like, how did that just happen? You know, it's it, 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 it's it's hard to find a distinct subjective way to look at it. But I think we all know those feelings where you're like, man, I don't really think that guy had a great game. And then you check his numbers and he's got 30 points and his team has a win. And, and that's kind of, you know, where Jason Tatum is at in the run that he's on right now. And so, Adam, I, I just want to read out these stats real quick. I know we don't love reading stats, but this, these are just too good not to read. This is Jason Tatum over his last 20 games right now, averaging 35 minutes played per game. He's averaging 30 points, five assists, seven and a half rebounds, 6.3 free throws attempts while shooting 87% from the line. He's shooting basically 50% from the field and shooting 39.2% from three with only two turnovers a game. So two to one in that assist to turnover ratio. It is just a beautiful stretch. And, and the moment I and I picked those 20 games actually on purpose, Adam, remember when he went through kind of bringing back Grant Williams to, into the fold here? Remember when he went through his little Grant Williams rookie stretch where he was like 0 of 20 from three? And, and he was really that, struggling, dude. And then dropped that 51-point bomb on, on the Wizards, which also coincided with Marcus Smart returning. Since then, those are the numbers that he's putting up. That is some other world statistic line right there. Put myself on mute then. It's my own fault. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like for me, the statistics. Are, how can I word this without sounding like somebody that doesn't like statistics? Because I do. The statistics are great. I think that when you're putting up these numbers, the recognition you get is usually based on, oh, he's being super efficient from here. He's being super efficient this way. But I think as well, one of the things that has really kind of caught my eye is I don't know if you noticed this. On last night at last night's game, but he's also pointing out where he wants people to be defensively. Mm-hmm. He's pointing out where he wants people to be on offense. Like he's saying, right, I want you to be there and then come and scream me. There was a couple of times where he kind of told Derek White who to pick up because Derek White's still learning the system. Yep. So what? Like his his numbers are elite, but it's these little steps towards leading the team. You know what I mean? Very understated. You have to like, I, I kind of noticed it on my rewatch, not my first watch where I'm watching him like point places to guys like you take him, you take him, you come here. And it's like that type of mentality and that type of leadership isn't something we saw from him six months ago and everything's coinciding. It's not that, Hey, he's dropping buckets. He's having, having this statistical like resurgence. So he's more confident and more vocal. It's very much like he's having a statistical resurgence and he's more confident and vocal. And when you put the two together, now the team's clicking because there's an extra voice on there and everybody's going to listen to JT because JT is like, you know, he's on, he's unquestionably the best player on the floor. He backs up. I mean, you you can't like, that's, that's always the question, right? Can leadership come from, 
you know, you're, you're the guy who's not the best on your team because you're like, well, so-and-so is better. You don't have that when it comes to Jason Tatum. And when you brought up the word leadership, that was making me think back to whether it was earlier this year or last year and, and, and people questioning, you know, not just Jason, but Jalen's leadership skills. And I think you're really seeing a transformation of that. And, you know, once again, bringing this full circle to our whole podcast today, back to Al Horford. Like, it, it's hard not to think that, Al behind the scenes has a little bit of influencing to to do with this. And maybe he doesn't, but it's hard to think that there's not some type of correlation to, to bringing in such a sage veteran like Al Horford and that there's not that type of difference in the locker room. And it's been talked about that that's one of the big reasons that Al was 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 brought in is that you have Marcus as the heartbeat. You have the Jays as the, the leaders of the team. And then Al's that conscience that's kind of, you know, guiding everybody on their own journeys because he's seen it all. He's been through it in almost every aspect, minus getting to the finals, which hopefully we're changing this year. But except from being in the finals, Al's, Al's seen and done it all from every aspect of the league. So, Do you think that no Al winds the clock back if we get to the finals? Do you think he just goes super saiyan? What do you mean? Tell me more. Like, all of a sudden, he's dominating the glass. He's dominating the rim. Like, do you think Al just plays out of his mind for like four or five games? I mean, I think no one goes more balls to the wall than Al because he knows this might be it. This might be the <laughs> chance, you know? Like, I, I don't know if he's going to go and, and you know, do things that, that he's never done before. But, you know, it's it, – and we've seen Al that, – that's one of the great things. We've seen Al in the postseason with the Celtics, and, you know, Al's a gamer. Al's, Al, was, was, Al was never a hindrance in any of those runs during his, his yeah. Celtics time. You know, he was a guy that, a that stepped up to the plate. He's a hooper? Yeah. How did you think, then we'll end on this. How did you think Isaiah Thomas looked? Ah, oh, man. Um, okay. I mean, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think he had a little bit of bounce to him. And like, there was, you know, the I think the first, uh, first shot he got up, I can't remember if it was Grant or Grant and Tatum that blocked his shot. Yeah, he got at the same swatted, time. Yeah, and that was the one where I was like, ah, oh, I like kind of cringed a little bit. I was like, ooh, I remember seeing that so many times, but he would just create a different level of separation and his bounce, which would also get him, you know, just enough space to get that shot off. And it, it's just, a here's the, the tragic part, is I don't think that his athleticism and his bounce and his quickness is dramatically different. But it's just enough different for a guy who's what five eight five nine that it makes yeah. all the difference in the world, you know. And there just wasn't that room for error in his career, unfortunately, with the injuries to lose that and then adapt your game. Just at that size, you need absolutely every ounce of what he had in that run. And you could see every once in a while he got just enough space where it was like, oh, that looked like Isaiah. He, like, he had that little run where it was like he scored like five points or something. It's like, ah, oh, that looked like Isaiah. And it felt good. Yeah. You know, even though he was scoring us, it felt good seeing that. But it's just just watching it, you know it's not sustainable long term. And, and Greg and I talked about this on our other show last night. Like it's a really tough spot because clearly he's too good for something like the G League, but he's not really good enough to get real minutes anywhere on a meaningful team in the nba at this point and so what do you do you know like like it's just a really tough spot and i feel for him um and you know i I love hearing him say that you know when it all came up that he was talking about like he is open to a reunion with the celtics and had even reached out yada 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 and like you know you and i have both been against that i don't want to see him as a mascot i just i just don't and we know it's going to be a storyline peyton pritchard misses a couple shots why not put in isaiah it's like no there's reasons not to to put in isaiah and i I just i don't want to have that that podcast continually but i did enjoy hearing him say like hey he's over 
not being the same guy that he was. And that's a very mature, self-aware thing to be able to say and to be able to realize. And so hearing him say that, I do still think there's value for him as a Udonis Haslam type role in the NBA as a guy at the end of the bench. You know, I don't think it can be in Boston because of the history. And it's just going to be too much of a story with, with other stuff that, that isn't, that isn't going to allow it to be what it should be. But I do think there's a place and I hope he finds it because it's our guy. For me. And I agree. I don't think it should be in Boston. I've wrote about this before. I've pushed it a few times, like leave the dude's legacy intact. Yeah. And I know some people are like, this isn't about legacy. This is about doing right by Isaiah. Well, in my opinion, that's the same in and of the same. You know the ten, I mean? And the 10 day contract doesn't make it right with karma. Like that's not, no. that's not how it works. How it works. You know, like and like, bringing someone back and then, like adding that last chapter of and then they brought him back and he didn't succeed like that that leaves a blemish on what he achieved do you know what i mean i'm very against it i do think that one of the biggest things isaiah had was that ability that first step right that ability to get a guy on his hip and that was then that step back because the guy was already on his hip that separation so i agree that i think he has lost that first step um or at least some of that first step Mm-hmm. That step back, as you said, didn't create doesn't create the separation it once did. I think his shot looks pure. Like his shooting form is still pure. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? The dude could still get buckets. We've seen that when he was doing it in the G League. Could Europe be an option for him? So that was the other thing is that I was thinking, I, and I just don't know. You know, he feels like a big family guy. I don't know if he wants to do that. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, if he wants to hoop at a higher level, but that's not the NBA because the G League is is he's gonna he's gonna crush it, but it's just not. And we're gonna get all of those tweets that like. Someone put Isaiah in the league, and it's like, man, I, I I agree, but also he's been on what six ten day contracts at this point, and, and no, no one's picked him up. Money, like, yeah. like that's got to tell you something, you know what I mean? So, and like I, Spain's like the second best league in the world. It's a great league, yeah. Yeah, you know, you go to Spain and it you're gonna have, money. make some good money, have some good weather, some good food, some nice scenery, and then at the other end of the spectrum you're not going to be the best player on the floor. You're going to have to earn minutes rather than being in the G League where the G League, look, is a very isolation, run-and-gun heavy league. Everybody there is there for one very specific reason. Put yourself in the shop window to sign a contract with an NBA team. Mm-hmm. When you're in Europe, it's a little bit different because the team owns you. Like, you know, you're contracted there with the NBA team. Yeah. Once you have to kind of pay a fee, like buy you out of that deal. So being on the G League, you're just ultra available. But the money's low. And, you know, I think that Isaiah could come to Europe, have one or two years of high-level play in him, make some good money, and then call it quits. You know, at the end of the day, he, he's a guy that had MVP, MVP caliber seasons. Yep. He's played in conference finals. He, he's done what everyone didn't think he would be capable of achieving when he was first drafted because of his height. Now go to Europe and maybe win some silverware in Europe, win a championship, compete at a high level, and then call it a day, man. Like, you know, if you, yeah. just, if you want that paycheck, then Europe's going to be where it is. If not Europe, then China. Yeah. The other, I mean, the other thing I saw in in one of our Celtics converse, uh, chats that we have is, you know, maybe going the Evan Turner route, kind of like that that younger assistant coach that that connects with the players, does some development. Like, I think that's another route. But you know, end of the day, it all depends what what Isaiah wants. And I think you know, hearing him talk the way that he did uh, these last couple of days leading up to the Celtics game, I, I think there's a a lot of 
reality setting in for him about where he's at in his career and self-awareness of of what he can and cannot do on the court. So I think it'll be interesting. I obviously wish him the best. And I think I think if he really wants to decide of like what what his what he personally values and what he wants, he's gonna have options. It it just depends what he wants to do. Could see him in the big three. Yeah, that's another option too. Yo, have him team up with Joe Johnson who crushes the big three. Crushes the big three. Oh, yeah, big babies in that league too. You can make you can make like an ex Celtic team. I went back and watched that video of Big Baby getting caught in that chair a few oh, times. Oh, it was great, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, oh, these your oh, seats? These your seats? <laughs> <laughs> Which is so great because it's so relatable. I've had – everyone has had that happen where you're yeah, eyeing dude. those seats. It happens to us all, man, even Big Baby. It, definitely at music shows, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm always <laughs> yeah. a dude that I, I like to stand. Like I'm yeah. always in a standing crowd. But there's been times where standing wasn't available, and you're just mm-hmm. like – Oh, those seats right there—they're free. Yeah, yeah, free upgrade, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody's done that. I don't know why. Why wouldn't you? Do you know what I mean? Like, it just makes no sense to me. So yeah, man. I mean, at the end of the day, Big Baby should just be getting whatever seats he wants anyway. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But man, that was funny, right? Everybody, if you've enjoyed this show, make sure to like and subscribe, or like and follow, depending on what device you're using. Please leave that five star rating and that review. My boy Will Will here is a marketing expert. That's right, expert. Knows his stuff, top to bottom. I don't know if he does. I'm just telling you that he does. So, Will, what can these people, these lovely ladies and gentlemen do if they don't want to leave a review or if they've already left a review? How can they help us? First off, if you've left a review, thank you. We really appreciate it. It means a lot. Hopefully it was five stars. If it wasn't, not as much of a thank you to you. Please don't do that again. But if you're out and about, and you want to talk about Celtics Blog Podcast, you want to tell them where to find it, you know, make sure you're talking to the people at your gym, talk to the people at your coffee shop, talk to literally anybody that you pass and say, hey, are you a Celtics fan? If they reply yes, tell them to check out the Celtics Blog Podcast with Adam, Will, and Greg. If they say no, stop being friends with those people. Why are you friends with those people? Just kick them out of your life. That's all it is. It's a very simple path. Yes, tell them to come watch Celtics Blog Pod with me, Adam, and Greg. If they say no, kick them out of your life. Done and done. You're welcome. Will's life advice for the day. That's perfect advice. I don't know why you wouldn't want to be friends with a non-Celtics fan. Makes no sense. It's despicable. Diabolical. Treacherous. Only joking. Be friends with who you want to be friends with. We'll catch you all on Monday. Have a good weekend. Don't do anything we wouldn't do, which means you can pretty much do anything you want to do. It's all on the table. Peace out.